Hello, everybody. Um, how many psychotherapists in tonight? Oh, you're going to keep me on my toes. I won't be able to get away with anything. Good. Um, I'm going to start off with a story. When I was about 11, or maybe I was 12, I don't know how old I was, but uh, pre-adolescent, um, I was at uh, one of my parents' parties. They were quite sociable, jolly people. They had a lot of parties. And uh, a gentleman who was probably two gin and tonics in asked me a question. And he said, are you having a happy childhood? And I, I thought about the question, and uh, I said, no, not particularly. And my father heard me from across the room, so he strode over and said, what nonsense, you're having an idyllic childhood. How dare you, stupid child. What a ridiculous answer to that question. You have an idyllic childhood. I felt like I was in a fug. I'd got something wrong. I wasn't sure what, but I got it wrong again. Uh, my beloved, if scary, father was cross with me, and um, I was jarred and shocked. And it's quite a common place for me to be as a child. I was always told to tell the truth, and then told the truth, and then it wasn't the right truth, and it was like all very scary. Now, what my father missed then, perhaps not while the party was in full swing, but maybe the next day, he could have, instead of trying to scold me into happiness, he missed really a moment for connection. Because when your child is unhappy, it's not all. <laughs> when your child is unhappy, it isn't an opportunity to tell them off or to interrogate them. It's an opportunity for you to have a moment of connection to find out what's that about. So that's what he missed out on. He could have said, oh, you're not having a happy childhood. What, what is it that isn't unhappy? Oh, you don't like going to school. Oh, I hated going to school too. And that would have satisfied me because I would have felt like he understood and he met me and it, it, would have been, it would have been lovely. I would have felt seen. But he didn't do that. He, he went <laughs> instead. Um, but let's not blame him either because he'd been through the war and here was I living in peacetime complaining about my childhood so he saw it. It's so easy to take our children's feelings as a telling off for our parenting skills. Perhaps he was doing that. Perhaps he thought I was going, no, my parents aren't good enough. Um, I don't think I was, but, you know, he could easily have been taken like that. So you can understand the situation from his point of view. But the challenge of parenting is to understand your child's life from your child's point of view. And... Um, what makes a good life, in my opinion, are moments of connection, when someone meets us where we are. And I don't think babies and children are any different. We all want to be met where we are. And that's what makes a good relationship, too. A good relationship is when you feel seen and met in the relationship. And the way you are mirrored 
in human form. Does everybody, oh, I'll explain what mirroring is. You're not all psychotherapists, after all. When you see yourself in somebody else's face, when how they are pleased to see you, how they greet you, how they are with you. If they seem irritated with you, you can take that back as I am irritating because they are a, a mirror for you, a human mirror. And our parents are human mirrors for us. So if we can be delighted as parents um, to be with our children or content or relaxed, they get a, a better feeling for themselves because of how we mirror them when we're with them. Um, we all need a relationship that mirrors us fairly accurately or even boosts us up a little bit. Um, it's lovely if people are optimistic about us. Like, for instance, I could not have attempted to write this book unless my literary agent believed in me, which she did. She believed in me more than I believed my, my, in myself. So she, her optimism sort of parented me. And as parents, we need optimism that our children will do what they need to do rather than threatening them that if they don't pass their exams, they'll be a failure. So it's much better to be optimistic. I'm just talking about things that make up a great relationship because that's what your child needs most of all. When we think about what do children need, we think they need warmth, they need love, they need food, they need shelter, they need clean clothes, they need uh, a, a safe place. But what all these things add up to is a great relationship. And most parenting books concentrate on the child like um, what your child needs to be doing, what development stage they need to be at. Or they concentrate on, on tactics and, and hacks that make it so much easier, apparently. Um, and this makes you concentrate on your own behavior. And I think we, it's so easy to take the main... What? The main what? The main point of parenting of being a child for granted, which is that is your relationship with your parent or your relationship with your child. And my book is about how to optimize that relationship. Not optimize your child. Your child is not a project that you get right or ruin. And a relationship is rarely perfect. All of us here are in relationships one way or another with our parents, with our employer, with our children, perhaps with a partner, with our brothers and sisters, with our friends. We're in relationships. And some of them are pretty good and pretty nurturing, but there's no such thing as a perfect, perfect relationship unless you're in the throes of an erotic transference at the very early days. <laughs> but we all know that doesn't last very long. And maybe... That perfectness is, is a little reminder of the synchronicity we all experienced in the womb because I don't think it ever gets better than that. There is, in fact, um, now who was it? Ah, one of those very early um, analysts, not Freud, another one, you'll know, 
And he said all neurosis sprang from the fact that um, the womb was paradise and everything after that was disappointment. <laughs> well, that's a very bleak way of thinking about it, but there, there might be some truth in that. Anyway, what makes a good relationship? One of the um, main things is a sense of connection from those moments of mutual understanding that happen periodically, not all the time. You know, when we suddenly meet someone, they get us and we get them. You know, you can get that with a look with your child, like you suddenly find something funny together, and that's perfect. Just for a second or two, it does feel perfect. Um, another way we can have a good relationship is by allowing mutual impact. Mutual impact was a term that I first heard um, in the American School of uh, Relation Relational Psychoanalysis. And I thought, I can apply that to parenting pretty quickly. Um, if we don't allow someone to impact upon us, to change us, they will be less open to our influence as well. So in order for a relationship to work, there needs to be mutual impact. Now, the trouble is, with the last few decades of enculturation, parenting manuals have about, about been closing down the impact a child makes on a parent. Don't go, to, go, don't go to them in the night. If you do go to them, them into the night, don't give them eye contact. Don't talk to them. Um, it, uh, when, they're, when they're being good, you can talk to them. When, the, when they're being beha behaving inconveniently, then you can't. So there's this thing of sort of molding, of manipulating, of not allowing the child's coercive cries or needs to impact upon us. And if we've been treated like that, we also deaden our ability to be impacted upon because we had no impact ourselves. So we become far more insular and less relational as a result of not being allowed to have an impact on others and not allowing impact on ourselves. So it's really important to allow our children to affect us. They can teach us things. We can look at the world through their eyes. They can tell us things. And you might think, but I know so much more than my four-year-old or something. However, you don't know how they are experiencing the world. And if you let that in, then you can learn a lot. And their influence is quite fun, actually, when you, when you allow it. Um, if we haven't had that ourselves in childhood, it's quite difficult to give. In fact, if we had a difficult childhood, maybe we had lovely parents, but they never allowed us to be unhappy. Maybe we had lovely parents, but um, they disapproved of us if we were anything less than happy the whole time. Um, and so, what can happen is that we close ourselves down. We become less sensitive because we weren't responded to sensitively. And so what can happen when our child squawks or whines 
or is unhappy but can't actually articulate what the matter is, it can remind us about how we felt when we were like that child and we don't want to be reminded, so we might push them away. It's not that we want to push our children away, it's that we want to push away what they're triggering in us. I'll give you an example. Um, a man I'm going to call Mark, and I have permission to tell his story, came to see me because uh, he wanted to leave his um, two-year-old son and his wife. They were, uh, his son was called Toby and his wife was called Tony. But not their real names, but their real names did have the same letters as well. <laughs> anyway. And um, he felt like all spontaneity had gone out of his life. He felt depressed that he had to plan for everything. He felt depressed that um, everything seemed to be centered around the child and not around his interests. Um, he was depressed that he felt on 24-7. And he felt himself gradually closing down. And he said, I think the only solution is for me to leave my wife and child and live separately and only see them sometimes because I can't really cope with this. And I was quite interested in not being able to cope with it. And I said, well, what, is, what has it been? This is two years. So what's it been like up until now? And he just said, it's, it's getting worse and worse. It was all right to start with, but I'm truly fed up with it now. So then you wouldn't be surprised at the psychotherapist here tonight to know what my next question to him was, which was, what happened to you when you were two? And he said, nothing. I had a great childhood. Uh, I had a single, my mum was a single parent, but she was great and she was really good fun and we had a right laugh together and I love her and we've got a great relationship now. I go, yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great. Tell me about your father. Obviously, his father left when he was two. And I said, what was like that like? And he said he couldn't remember, but he started crying. And then when he'd been crying for a bit, he started sort of growling. So then I said, you sound angry. And then he started shouting. He's crying, growling, shouting, really shouting, punching the sofa, went on for about 25 minutes. And then he exhausted himself with it. And I said, how was that? And he said, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> quite satisfying really I said so you did mind that your dad left and you did mind that you lost contact with him and you do mind that you've only got a kind of role playing perfunctionary sort of relationship now that doesn't feel real and he went yes I do and he realised that his son was reminding him of his own feelings that he had when he was two this is really normal Whatever age your child is at is liable to remind you of what you felt and what you were going through at the same age as them. And if it was unpleasant, you might want to push your child away or in Mark's case, leave altogether. Now, had he, had le had he left, he would have perpetuated the cycle he found himself in. Like his father, I don't know if this is true, but maybe his father's father was emotionally unavailable to him when he was two. That's why he couldn't bear being with Mark and he left. I don't know. But it does seem to go in cycles, this thing. And patterns do get passed down through the generation. 
but the great thing is we have a chance, if we are aware of these feelings and where they come from, to change our link, which is great. When Mark did this work, and he came back a few weeks, and his, his anger got less and less, and his crying got less and less, and he was beginning to find that Toby was quite a cheeky chappy and quite good fun, and he liked playing with him. And when he felt like he could be absorbed by the child and be in relationship with the child and do turn-taking with the child and feel like he could just be present with Toby, he found that Tony, his wife, could actually take an interest in other things. She'd been so Toby-focused beforehand because he'd been so self-absorbed that she had to do all the holding and all the caring. But now he was doing his half. It gave her a chance to be interested in other things which helped their relationship. And I wouldn't call them happily ever after, but they're certainly functioning ever after and occasionally cheerful, which I think is pretty good. <laughs> Psychotherapy isn't, isn't the alexia of all happiness, but it can make you significantly less miserable. <laughs> and um, Mark realising that his misery was about the past and not the present really helped the present along. It's not always things as dramatic as a parent leaving that triggers um, you when you're parenting, your parent leaving. Um, there's another story I've got. Um, Tay, who is a psychotherapist colleague of mine, has a six-year-old child, and she's a very self-aware person, Tay. She's done a lot of work on herself, and she makes mistakes when parenting. We all do. And this was Tay's. Um, Emily, her six-year-old, was stuck on the climbing... Hello, sweetheart. Was stuck on the climbing frame and wanted help to get down. When she asked for help, all Tay felt was rage. Just rage came from nowhere. And she said, you can get down by yourself. And the child whimpered. And she said, come on, get down, stop being stupid. And she managed to get down, but she was scared and she thought she was going to help hurt herself. She didn't, but she got down. And then she wanted to hold Tay's hand, you know, for a bit of comfort. Tay was still so angry she couldn't hold her hand. Then um, Emily wailed, but they got home, and by the time they were making tea together, they'd sort of forgotten about it, and Tay wrote the whole thing off, thinking, God, kids can be a pain sometimes. Then what happened was a week later, they were at the um, zoo, I think, this time. There was another climbing frame there, and, and little Emily looked at it sort of half scared, and Tay said, you can play on it, go on. And this time, instead of sitting on the bench playing on her phone, she stood up because she was interested to think, what on earth happened to me last week? Why did I overreact like that? And again, when um, Emily got to the top, she couldn't see her feet. She didn't like looking down, so she asked for help again. This time, Tay said, put your foot there, hold on to that rope, Swing round. You put your other foot there. Yeah, you're safe, you're safe. It's okay, put your foot down. There, you're down. And Emily was very satisfied with this. She said, why didn't you help me last time? Now, 
it's so easy on these occasions just to blame our children. It would be so easy for Tay to say, because you can get down perfectly well by yourself, and, and, and so hold on to being right. But as I said before, she's a very self-aware psychotherapist, and she said, you know, that's been troubling me too, why I felt so angry, and I've just realized why it is. I'm jealous of you. When I was your age, Nanny was so scared that I was going to hurt myself that I wasn't allowed on climbing frames. So I was furious with you because you were, and that's not fair, and I'm sorry. Um, I was just jealous. And Emily said, oh, I thought you just didn't care. <laughs> and, you know, she's perfectly happy with that. Um, but this is what can happen. Rather than own our own jealousy and feel those feelings we felt then, rage might come up. So it's a great idea, if you feel that charged feeling, to think, does this belong in the past or the present? And even if it does belong in the present and your child needs some guidance, they won't hear it when you're angry. They'll only hear your anger. So you still have to sort of wait until you're calm before you give the guidance. Otherwise, all they hear is, I'm a bad person because mummy's angry. So be aware of that charged feeling of wanting to get away quickly or anger because it's probably more to do with your past than the child's present. Now, what Tay did then, which is really important, as I said earlier, the, the course of any relationship never runs particularly smoothly, is that she realized there'd been a rupture in their relationship when she had shouted at her for not getting down from the climbing frame. And she repaired it by saying, you know what? That was my bad. I was jealous. And this is what we need to do quite a lot with our children, is to apologize when we're overtired, because we're always saying the children are overtired, but I think we all, know, <laughs> we all know the meaning of projection in this room, I think. And we blame our children for our feelings. And when we do that, we need to, when we realize what we've done, say, my bad. I didn't realize the effect of me saying my bad on my child would be. I just decided I wasn't going to be like my parents and always right the whole time, because it's impossible for someone to be always right the whole time. So whenever I did slip up and got a bit cross because I was tired or whatever it was, um, I said, sorry, I shouldn't have shouted or whatever it was. And my daughter seemed to not take much notice of this. But once, when she was about four years old, she said to me while she was eating a piece of cake in the kitchen, uh, Sorry I was grumpy in the car, Mummy. I, I was really hungry. I'm all right now. Sorry about that. I thought, she's apologizing to me. I haven't told her to say sorry. She's genuinely reflecting upon her behavior, thinking that wasn't quite right. And she's apologizing. So children do do as they're done to. So that's another reason for investing in rupture and repair, because it will make our children able to apologize without all that horrible humiliation about being wrong. Being wrong is something we all are quite a lot of the time, and it's fine to own it. And then our children learn to own it as well. Likewise, they learn gratitude, not, being, not by being told to say please and thank you, but if they're 
they're asked please and thank you and shown gratitude, um, they tend to give it back. Children really do do what they're done to quite a lot of the time. And I think that if we stopped using humiliation with our children, stop playing winning and losing games with our children, is she winning? Have you let her win? All those horrible games that we've been told that children play, and actually it's the adults that play them. I think we might be in for a better world where people are less defensive and don't use humiliation in their dealings with each other. Because people learn this sort of stuff at home. So that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, another way of not humiliating people is when you want to set a boundary is to not define the child. So you don't say, you're tired, you have to go to bed. You say, I'm tired, so I want you to go to bed because you have to go to bed before I can go to bed. <laughs> you say, we're leaving the playground in five minutes because my feet are so cold, I can't feed them, feel them anymore. We don't say, because you've had quite enough. It feels selfish to define ourselves, but it's actually authentic because that is the reason we want them to go to bed. That is the reason we want to leave the playground. And so we should make I statements when we set boundaries. People say you can't be friends with your children. You have to be parents to them. You can't, you can't be a friend, you have to be a parent. Yes, you can be a friend and they need you to be a friend. And you can put down boundaries and you need to put down boundaries. But you put down the boundaries by defining yourself not them. And then you can be friends with them because they know it's because you are too pathetic to let your 13-year-old use the night bus at night, not because they're incapable of using the night bus. <laughs> My 13-year-old had a great idea of coming back from Peckham on the night bus at midnight on her own. I said, I know you're great on the buses and you know all the timetables and you know all the routes. You know them better than I do and I'm proud of you for that. And I'm too scared to let you go on that bus, so I'm going to wait up all night and come and get you, <laughs> even though that's humiliating and you'd rather be a grown-up and use the bus. Sorry about that. You're going to have to bear with me until I catch up with how mature you are. She goes, oh, all right. Now, we could have had a row about whether she was capable or not, and let's face it, she probably is capable. It's just that I wasn't ready to let her do that yet. So we must, when we put down boundaries, I statements, not you statements. Now, I'm going to stop there and see if there's any questions. You can clap me if you like, because that's the bit of that bit. Yeah. Now we have a we have a roaming roving mic, um, and we've got a question. Thank you very much for starting the ball off. Wait for your microphone. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts are on uh, the fact that the prevalence data that was released by NHS England at the end of last year um, about uh, the kind of level of mental illness uh, that's diagnosed amongst young people currently okay. suggests that there are kind of um, okay. still gradual kind of increases, especially amongst young that. girls okay. um, and, and in self-harm. And, and also the fact that there is 
a discrepancy because there's an even greater increasing demand for uh, actual services. Okay. We get into trouble, we get mental health difficulties when there are feelings we have that we cannot express and then we think there's something wrong with ourselves and then we feel such pain we don't know what to do with it because we can't put those, we can't process, process those feelings into words. Now unfortunately because parents are so lovely, they want their children to be happy the whole time. And they want their children to be sensible the whole time. So when a three-year-old says, I don't want to go to Granny's because Granny makes me eat rice pudding and I don't like it, we say, don't be silly. Just leave the rice pudding. I'll have a word with Granny. Don't make a fuss. Yeah. So there am I having a feeling, A3, I don't like that. And I'm told not to have the feeling. And likewise, age four, I'm very worried about the monsters under the bed. Don't be silly, there's no monsters under the bed. But actually, we all make up narratives for how we're feeling. And it's just that a child's narrative is less convincing than an adult's narrative. So you tend to think, ha, 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 that's nothing, that's, there's no monsters under the bed. There's a bit of dust, but there's no monsters. So we tell them not to be silly. But actually, what they're saying is, I'm scared and I'm frightened. They just haven't got the words for it yet. And what we have to do is listen to them. So when something icky happens with the rice pudding, we have to go, so how do you feel about the rice pudding? How does it make you feel? It makes me feel scared that I'm going to have to eat it. Oh, my God, that must be so scary. What do you think you can do? Maybe refuse it. That's a good idea. I'll back you up with that. Um, tell me the names of the monsters under the bed. Where do they live? When do they come out the most? Yeah, you're right. They do seem to come out when I'm in a hurry to go out and push you over to a babysitter. That's when the monsters seem to be the most present. I get that. I think you need me to lie down with you until you're asleep so you feel safe. If we allow children to confide in us, they don't need to hide from us. If they've got nowhere to take their feelings, if they, children aren't very good, in fact, you know, humans aren't very good about expressing how they feel, and if we can't express how we feel, we can't process how we feel, and then that can get into mental health difficulties. And we haven't been very good at processing children's feelings because we don't take them that seriously because we think they haven't got the mortgage to worry about, so what are they worried about? We compare them with our worries. But in fact, they feel as deeply as we feel and probably more because we've desensitized ourselves to a certain extent. So we must allow our children to have their feelings and we do that by not being frightened of our own. And, um, yeah, there's more pressures going on with, with kids these days. Like, they, they have to have as, 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 much, as many Instagram followers as their friends do. They have to be um, pretty. They have to be strong. They have to fit some gender stereotype or whatever external pressures they apparently are feeling. But if we get dialogue right from a very early age they've got somewhere to talk about and take this stuff and if we don't try and fix them quickly but we are open to listening like a counselor is open to listening 
then they're less likely to need a counsellor in the real world. Um, so I'm hoping, it, it's, it's all in this book, I'm hoping if enough people read this and, and, and learn how to have real dialogue rather than fixing, then there will be fewer um, children that require mental health services, I hope. That is my dream. Thank you. Any more? Oh, that's, that's great. Thank you. A any more questions? Over there. Sorry, sorry. Hi, um, my question is, I, th I think it's related to what we're talking about. So I've got a two-year-old, and she's worn the same rainbow top for the last eight weeks. Nice. And I I'm it's kind a of bloody lovely top. Oh, it's it's amazing, and yeah. I've bought I've bought several others so I can I don't have to wash them every night. Um, but top I'm mum, everyone. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have let her wear one covered in food. But yeah, go on. But in all seriousness, I'm kind of worried about whether I'm indulging that obsession. Okay, let me stop you right there. I've got a lovely truism for you. Okay. Go with what works in the present, yeah. and the future will look after itself. Yeah. There you go. Great. <laughs> Thanks. It really works, letting her wear the rainbow top 24-7. Yeah. Great. I had um, a client of mine... Who's, who had to go back to work and therefore had to get her kid off the tit and onto solid food um, by the time the child was like eight months old. And the child obviously was reluctant to leave the boob. Who wouldn't be? <laughs> the only way she could get her to eat spaghetti hoops or whatever she was feeding her was to sit her in a rug in the middle of the sitting room and sing nursery rhymes to her and do a little dance while she ate the thing. <laughs> and she said to me, what if this is the only way she ever did? <laughs> I go, yeah, that's going to be pretty tricky on her first date, isn't it? <laughs> it's a phase. The yeah. rainbow top will be discarded for some Mars boots or something. Don't worry. Yeah. And Thank you. Just go with what works. If it's not illegal, go with it. <laughs> Any other questions? Lot at the back there. Hi. I have an eight-year-old who goes from zero to 100 in terms of temper within seconds. Nice. Um, and what I find is I've, I've learned to not react in the same way back to her who knows what my childhood issues are where that presses my buttons um but i've tried to at least calm down with that um so she will go she will just shout scream have whatever the tantrum is and then disappear and then she'll come back at one point and then want me to hug her or and say sorry mommy or you know Sweet. something to give comfort okay i've got it mm -hmm. you ready <laughs> do you want to say any more no, it's a, I guess it's sort of a, is it indulging? Is it okay? No, forget, about, forget about indulging. You can't be too kind. You cannot be too kind. Don't worry, they'll come across horrible things in the, in, in the outside world. They need you to be a safe haven. But let me just talk about inconvenient behavior for a moment. In order to behave conveniently, there are some certain skills we need. 
We need a tolerance for frustration. We need flexibility. We need problem-solving skills. And we need empathy for others. So we can see things not only from our point of view, from other point of view. Now, just like the skills of reading and writing, running and jumping, we all learn these skills at different speeds. We usually pick them up from those around us. I personally couldn't read until I was nine years old. Your daughter has a low tolerance for frustration right now, but just like I learned to read, not that brilliantly, but I knew my letters at nine, and now I can write whole books, be optimistic that she will get there. So when she says, sorry, mummy, which is beautiful, she's already repairing a rupture and understands she needs to do that. That's lovely. She's got the empathy part down, I'd say. That's pretty damn good. So all we need to do is concentrate on problem-solving problem -solving skills, flexibility, and um, um, tolerance for frustration. Now, behavior charts and stickers don't do that. They don't teach those skills. They teach some sort of crazy manipulation stuff. And if you teach your children by manipulating them, they learn to manipulate, which isn't great, unless that's what they want to do in life. But I, I, I don't think it's great. But I'd say you are doing a terrific job, and you have got a child that has a low tolerance for frustration, and my bet is it's going to get higher and higher, just like mine did, did you know? Um, does that help a bit? No. Well, it's the... Emma, so I try and have a reasonable conversation, accepting that when she's at whatever spiral she is, you can't really have a reasonable conversation with a child. But you go, well, I'd like you to think about what you've said, and that can be hurtful and... She and sounds the, like she's the, pretty good at that because she's already, already um, apologizing. But I think what we need mm. is when you're putting down a boundary, you define yourself and not the child. So you don't say you have a problem with your temper. You're saying, I'm having a problem when you shout at me. And I understand that you're very frustrated. And I'm wondering whether we can brainstorm together other ways of your showing you're angry. Because what we don't want to do is tell her off for being angry, because we are all our feelings. What we need is uh, an acceptable, convenient way of expressing that anger, and that is something you can brainstorm together. That sounds good, I thought. <laughs> any, any more questions? It's a very quick one. Um, my son is four and a half years old, and uh, before you were talking about there's not a limit it shouldn't be a limit to be indulgent. So I can't hear that. Sorry, not a limit to being indulgent. No, you were Did saying. I really say that. Sorry. <laughs> now, what basically, you know, remember before you were saying that on a lot of books there you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. So um, sometimes because when he goes to bed, he still wants you to be there with him. Yeah, you know, he so would. He's only how old is he? Four and a half. Yeah, he was very little. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, because obviously every time me and my husband were like maybe it, it is growing his insecurity and so every time he's like mama when i'll be four and now it's four and a half mama when i'll be five it's okay i can sleep by myself so for now i don't think it's a problem but then obviously we have debates at home Go if he can with become what works in the future 
Yeah. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Go with what works in the present and the future will look after itself. Good, okay. So I personally don't think it's a great idea to leave children alone at night if they don't want to be alone at night. And I realise you do have a dinner party to get to and that is very inconvenient, but you are a grown-up. Um, I found that my daughter went straight to sleep on most nights, very quickly, if I lay down with her and, and, we just, and I just said, I'm going nowhere till you're asleep. Except on the nights, I had friends round. And then somehow, even if she didn't know about them, she could tell in my body that I was just dying to go downstairs and talk to my friends. And so she never went to sleep. So the more you kind of go to sleep, the more insecure that makes them. And so the more clingy they are. If a child is clingy, what they need is your presence, your calm, enveloping, unconditional presence. And when they're sure of that, then they won't have to cling and they can separate at their own pace. Children want to separate. Don't worry about that. They want to separate, but they want to separate at their pace. And if we don't push them away, then they can go away at their pace. Now then, any more questions? Hi. Yes. Oh, um, I've got one in the front after you. Just thank telling you. you. Um, can you talk a little bit about parenting siblings? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can leave it as that, or if you want, yeah, you want me to kind of be more specific, siblings. just more, more kind of. I, I, from my experience, maybe it's a taboo thing to say, but I find myself be feeling different, like my level of parenting with my two kids patience and flexibility and those things and now I see also that they the older one notices it I don't understand what so for example I could be more flexible with one versus the other yeah you that you have two it, separate different relationships yeah you know what kids sometimes do because they're really clever and funny they say who do you love most <laughs> and you say I love you both the same and they know that's a lie because <laughs> they are not stupid and they experience their own experience you love John like you love John you love him for his boldness and how surprising he is and how he, he comes up with stuff you never thought of you love Mary because she's just like you and you're on the same page so you love Mary like Mary and John like John and they're not comparable then the other thing that happens is when you're three years old or five years old and you've got mummy and daddy all to yourself and then somebody else has the nerve to want to share your mummy and daddy, not only share them, <laughs> take most of them away because they're more demanding. I mean, I think that's rude, basically, of the younger one. At least I would if I was an older one. And so what we need to do is listen and validate the feelings. So you feel like saying when they go, okay, the baby's quite enough now, she can go back to the hospital now, thank you, or hospital, as my daughter used to call it. She can go back to the hospital now. Um, you want to think that's a horrible thing to say. Or I wish the baby was dead. You said, that is an awful thing to say. How can you say that? It's what you want to say. Don't say that. 
Go with the feeling. It's really tough for you. Now you have to share me. That is awful. I can imagine if Daddy took on a new wife right now. <laughs> I'd feel pretty bad as well. So, yeah, this is awful. So what I'm going to do is that you and me are just going to have some you and me time, and we're going to have that tomorrow. Daddy's going to take the baby for two hours, and you and me are going to go to the cafe and have chocolate sundaes together alone without any baby. Or whatever it is you need to do. In order to make a child feel great about their sibling, I know this feels impossible, but they have to have even more fun than they had before the child arrived. <laughs> and then they associate love and fun with the sibling. And also, if they can be the sensible one, or, you know, you can actually go, oh, you're, you're such a great help with the baby, I could never have managed without you. All these things help if they feel like they're still special in... in different and ways but you know it's pretty tough so really whatever they're feeling however awful it feels for you to validate them if you validate feelings that feel dangerous to you those feelings will become less dangerous they won't really want to murder their sibling usually <laughs> okay thank you a question and um, yeah how would you define indulgence as opposed to kindness i don't really have indulgence um Material? I th okay, what I think, I think we all have a limit, okay? I have a limit about how long I can play Sylvanian families for. <laughs> it's two and a half hours, if anybody's interested. And guess how long my daughter wanted to play it for? Six hours. So my limit is two and a half hours. So I have to put my boundary down before my limit. And my boundary, if two and a half hours is my limit, where I go, I can't do this anymore, and sort of overreact, is two hours. So I say, in five minutes, I'm going to stop playing this game with you. You can carry on playing it, but I'm going to stop. Children always need a bit of notice about changing gears, so, you know, or changing activities. So in five minutes, I'm going to stop. It's the same as the, as the playground. My feet are cold, so in five minutes we're going. Like, I can't take Sylvanian families any longer, so in five minutes we're going to stop. So I think it's, we'll all have different limits. So we all need to put, our, even a mother and a father will have different limits. And I think we need to honour those different limits, and we each put our boundaries down before we reach the limit. So if, say, Dad has kids Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, mum has kids uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they both have them on Sundays. The kid might say, how come dad lets me to stay up till 8.30 and you won't make me go to bed at quarter to eight? Which is right. You go, well, they're both right. Because that's how long I can stand it, and that's how long <laughs> he can stand it. <laughs> Authenticity <laughs> is what your kids want from you. And somebody asked me last night, but doesn't that sound awfully selfish? We are selfish. Let's not pretend we, we, we haven't got limits and we're archangels. We're not. And I think as long as it is within your limit, you can be as kind as you can be. Um, I think that buying kids a lot of stuff is usually a way of pushing the kid away 
because if you've got all those toys to play with, you, you're, you're going to let me play with my phone, aren't you? Nope. It doesn't work. So trying to buy your kids off isn't, isn't cool um, because what they want more than anything is you. So give them you as much as you can stand and put that limit, that, that boundary down before you give, before you burst. I didn't at one point, actually. I, I, I made a terrible mistake, and I didn't put my... Because I wanted to be this wonderful earth mother, you know. Obviously, I have got physical limits. And I was sleeping with the baby, and my husband was sleeping downstairs, so at least one of us got some sleep. And he heard crying and crying and crying coming from upstairs. So we thought, what's going on? So we came upstairs. He found the baby asleep, uh, uh, crying her head off in the double bed alone. I was asleep on the lavatory with my face against the tiles of the wall like this. Fast asleep. I had reached my limit, ladies and gentlemen. And it would have been perhaps better if I put a boundary down before I got there so she wasn't distressed. And so we did that the next night, and he slept with her while I slept in the kitchen on the futon. Um, Okay, now then, it's time for me to close. Um, what would I like to do as a summing up? I'm going to say there's no such thing as perfect parents, but there's such a thing as authentic parents, and our, our children really require us to be real with them so that they don't get their instincts interfered with, with actually what is truth. So if we can dare to be our vulnerable real selves and yet still be safe people, well, we're all going to fail. But <laughs> muddling through is great. This isn't something you ace with hacks or anything like that. So let's just all continue to muddle through, and good luck to all of you. Thank you very much.